everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Buyer's Market Podcast, your show for breaking into the latest and greatest in buyer habits, decision makers, and marketing trends across the AEC space in the professional services industries. My name is Nathan Doyle. I am not your regularly scheduled host, but I'm here with him. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. It's hard to believe this is our 19th episode. That's crazy. Right? It's been almost six months of this now. That's That's... I think when we started this back in June of of 2021, the fact that we would have this many episodes by the end of the year seemed very just impossible to me at the time. Yeah, me me too. I uh, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of are we sure we want to launch a podcast? Are we going to be able to do it consistently? And then just when everyone was convinced we needed to do a podcast every other week, I said no. I think we need to do it every week. And yes, uh, so it's been a big testament to the team and everyone stepping up and supporting that. Um, and you know, it's been interesting because we've had people reaching out to us now asking if we can launch a podcast for them, which. You know, we we believed in the uh, the the marketing aspects of a podcast for a long time. Obviously, that's why we launched it. So I tell them, yes, if you're interested in launching a podcast, we can help you. And we plan to, in the next three to six months, we'll start to share some of the data that this podcast has been driving, just so everyone can see how we're able to use this, not just to inform people, but also to drive some business for us. Yeah, so stay tuned for that in the coming weeks. Uh, there's some other news that will tie into that as we proceed forward, but that's for 2022. Right now we're in 2021. And Matt, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some great guests on this show that have really helped to redirect a lot of how we've been thinking about marketing in the AEC space, how we think about selling into an audience in the AEC space, and how we think about the AEC space as a whole. Um, And so I've, I've been really interested in how we've seen those audience demographics shift from how buyers aren't quite the same people that they always used to be um, and specifically, how we can leverage our messaging to help individual or help organizations build during good times, use that content to work passively so that they don't have to constantly be in sales mode, and ultimately how the audiences can build their content and build their messaging and build their their services around understanding and trying to empathize with the audience that they're that they're trying to engage with and other people that might not. Um, experience the world the same way that they do. So I'm hoping that we can sit down and kind of have that that big conversation today. I know there's a lot of pieces there, uh, but I think there's a lot of value that we can drive for our audiences and for future listeners through those points. Absolutely. I think they're all good points. And I think it's an appropriate time at the end of the year to reflect on some of those points. And, you know, some of those are hypotheses we made in the beginning and some have proved true. Some of them varied a little bit, but uh, overall, I think we've been encouraged by what we've heard from our guests. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so speaking of guests, uh, if you look at the the past couple episodes of the buyer's market, we've had folks like Janet and Adrian and Marcus who really reflect this new generation of not only just AEC buyers, but decision makers across the professional services space. Um, so I'm hoping that we can have a little bit of a conversation here about those demographic shifts and more specifically what that means for sellers as they're stepping into those audiences. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. So first off, I guess, what is, I think, the biggest hangup, in your opinion, for engaging with those new audiences? Uh, I, 
You know, I, I, th I think the first thing is you have to believe that your audience is changing, that the demographics of your buyers is shifting. If you don't, if you don't take the time to acknowledge that or look around and realize that at a minimum, people that are influencing these decisions are younger than they used to be, look different than they used to, then it's, it's you know, it's difficult for you to continue to make that step. Um, after you acknowledge your, after you acknowledge that your buyers and your future buyers are different, um, and we'll get to it later, it's, you know, starts with empathy, understanding how they consume information. And the way that they consume information, we've heard it time after time, is vastly different than the way information was consumed previously. Um, you know, you hear a lot of talk about podcasts, you know, they, People talk about they consume a podcast. They talk about LinkedIn. You hear everyone that has has gone through the effort of creating platform. They don't just talk about how great it's been to get all the likes. They talk about the community they've been able to build. And that sense of community, I think, is is unique and something that younger people even more are yearning for. And so I think the first step is just acknowledging that there's changes and then it's taking a step back and not thinking about how how do I like to communicate? It's how do the people that I want to communicate like to communicate? And it's figuring out the best way to communicate with them on their terms. I think that that reference to community is a really interesting tie in because that was one of the biggest um, outputs of the Internet, for lack of a better term of this ability especially like for me as a punk kid growing up in the middle of nowhere missouri like it gave me an opportunity to build a community outside of the small town that i lived in it gave me an opportunity to find oh hey these are other people in other small towns in the middle of nowhere nebraska or kentucky or arkansas or florida or wherever that didn't fit and so they were able to kind of like go out and find those communities in other digital realms. I think the, the the experience that you're describing here is very reflective of that, of this process of finding people that see your industry and see the future of your industry in the same way that you do and find people that you can learn from and engage from and that are experiencing similar challenges. Because if you're a, if you're a small uh, sheetrock company in the Midwest, like there's only so many other people in your market that are going to do what you do and you don't necessarily want to want to ebb and flow off of them because then they're going to be seeking to your, to your profit share and all that sort of stuff but if you can find other folks in other markets that you can kind of bounce off a little bit there that share your experience that share your vision that aren't a clear threat there's something really interesting there that you can kind of unpack and, do, and run with yeah and there, I thought you hit on three good points there, um, and I actually want to start with the last one there. You know, if it's not too much of a threat, I think we perceive too many threats. We talked about that in the Adrian episode a lot. It's mm -hmm. it's an abundant world. There's so much opportunity out there. There's more construction work that can be done right now, and so to have that scarcity mentality, I think that's a that's going to be a hindrance to future growth. If you're not going, if if you can't collaborate with a lot of different people, that in one arena you may call them a friend, in another one you call them a competitor. But as long as you have ground rules, you're good. Um, the second thing I wanted to circle back with uh, there was the community piece around buyers and then also the community piece around building a company. So around the buyers, we heard it way back from Jill where, hey, we all talk. We all talk to these to our peers in these different companies. And I think that's also a unique thing that hasn't been the case before. You mentioned yeah. being a young punk kid in Missouri. Well, if you're a buyer, a commodities buyer, or utility, or you're a specialty buyer, or utility, you know, there's no other utility within driving distance. That's they typically have a, a, a geographical area, right? Well, now with the 
internet and LinkedIn, now they can communicate with those buyers across the country and figure out what are their peers doing? How's this person performing? How's that company doing? And getting that feedback. Um, lastly, and this is something everyone's experiencing, and we've heard that also from the younger people we've interviewed, people want to work, work for people that they believe in, that they trust. They want to have this cause. They want to follow a leader, not just a brand, not just a big company. So when you put yourself out there, you also allow like-minded people to come want to work for you. And in a time when um, it's a very competitive job market and people have their choice, and you know, by all economists' uh, recommendation, it's gonna continue on for quite some time, your ability to be able to communicate what makes you different, what you value, um, how you can grow a team is gonna become even more important to you growing a team. You're not just gonna be able to kick something off to HR anymore and say, hey, find me the best talent. The best yeah. leaders are recruiting the talent. They're already out there building the network before they need it. So when they do need it, they can call into it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, the the combination of this whole like great resignation movement and people trying to find things that really give them life and give them value. And, and it really energizes them to go into work with the existing issue in AEC of folks just retiring. And the, the established decision makers are reaching that end of the line where they're saying, you know what, it's time for me to sit up and put my feet up for a little while. Uh, and we had that conversation with Dan, we've had this conversation with our, some of our clients multiple times where it's just, hey, the guys that I spent the last 15, 25, 30 years building relationships with, they're not there anymore. And so I've got to recalibrate the way that I think about this. I've got to relearn how to engage with someone 20 years, my, uh, 20 years younger than me to, to address their pain points in a in a different way. And those pain points haven't necessarily changed. They've just shifted a little bit. They've kind of take they've changed their profile a touch so that you're not looking at them in the same perspective. And so you have to approach them from a different angle or a different uh, strategy in order to land the message that you traditionally might have just sorted out over a beer or a game of golf or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. And. Uh... I was thinking of um, today's buyers and especially in our space, and I was thinking of Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it from a buyer's perspective, the first thing is, can they perform the work? Well, there's a lot more people that can do that now. So as you move down that needs-based, it, it can get a lot more to how are you specifically helping the buyer? Not yeah. are you buying them stuff? Are you taking them out to dinner? Are you doing underhanded things? Like, how do you make their job easier? How do you how do you allow them to get home sooner to see their family? How do you allow them more free time to be able to go kite surf or bass fish, whatever they want to do? How do you allow them to do that? When there's five different companies that can all do the same thing, you're within the price range. How, how is that buyer going to influence that decision? Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important question to ask yourself too. Yeah, I had actually had a, a great conversation with one of our clients about that, that about that exact thing last week. And I asked, okay, when you're looking at product A versus product B, and if the prices are all similar, what is the driving force for what helps you make that decision? And his answer was support. Um, his answer was, I pick the product that I know the sales team is going to be engaged and that they're going to continue to show up. And it's not just a transactional experience. Uh, and I think that's so reflective of this relationship-based sales model that you and I have kind of been talking about that really kind of galvanized our relationship in the first place of, <laughs> okay, this isn't just a, a touch and go. We want to be invested in each other's lives and beyond just like sending you Christmas cards because I want to keep you as a client. Like we want to know each other. We want to be involved and we want to, if something goes wrong, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. <laughs> uh, and I think there's, there's something very, very powerful in that ability and in 
the digital age's ability to facilitate that, of being able to connect and to drive value and to demonstrate value on really objective terms and just say, hey, this is what I do, this is what I have, I'd love to, to be involved if you want me involved and if you don't, I'll just back up and that's fine. Yep. Uh, but I th think there's a lot of value in that opportunity of being consistent and showing up and understanding the needs of a new generation, um, especially right now where things are going very well for the construction space. The infrastructure bill just passed a few weeks ago. Everything's gonna pick up in a crazy way over the next couple of months. Um, and it's a, it's a good time to start thinking about how you can do that work now so that when things start to slow down in God knows when, we don't know when, but we know it will because it always does, that we're prepared and we've done the work now so that you can benefit later. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a great point. I think it's something that everyone needs to be thinking about. Um, and there's, there's the longer term benefits of the customer acquisition as your buyers train change how are you showing up um there's the other component of uh, a, a lot of these companies or many of these companies have built a, a local at least brand and the way brands are built nowadays isn't is it's not as much in person you can build a brand digitally you can you can build the the messaging of a company and you can go to market as this company and you can actually see is there is there the demand out there and as long as you believe you can build the back end then you know that's how you can go to market um so I think there's there's that component of thinking about when it's more difficult to reach buyers, how are we going to reach them? And what does our sales process really need to look like? And it's very difficult to figure that out when you're also losing revenue, where it's, hey, all of a sudden it's way more competitive. We can't get in front of our buyers. Oh, crap. Our sales and marketing is misaligned. We don't have a good process. Now we have to figure this out in a time when it's also more difficult to get revenue. So yeah. there's that piece that I you know, I, I would encourage everyone to think about and to start to understand how do you do connect with those buyers. Um, but there's also the near term. What we just talked about is how are you recruiting people, right? There's the there's that building during the good times, so you so you understand. Hey, as things change, we're positioned well. But there's also a more immediate need of everyone is fighting for labor, and I don't see a lot of people talking about you know, how they can get in front, how they can get in front of people better, how they can communicate their values, how they can attract more employees. They're just, hey, there's no one out there. Hey, it's hard to find people. Yeah, you can continue to say that. That's the reality. But unless you're doing something different, unless you're doing something different than your competitors, unless you're, unless you're finding a unique way to talk to people, then how are you differentiating yourself? You know, mm -hmm. you're hoping that you're, you have a good recruiting staff that's out there and they're able to really sell your business. But, you know, the reality is anyone that's had more than one job knows that there's a lot of good recruiters out there. It's a lot different when you actually start working for the individual leader. And if you've been through that process once, then, you know, I want to understand the leader a lot better than I want to understand the recruiter. And yeah. if you invest in content now, if you invest in standing this up now, it's not only going to have the long term benefits of of driving more revenue to the passive stuff we'll talk about in a minute, but also it's that funnel of talent, getting people that are like-minded, getting them on the team, and then being able to get more of the work because you have the team to execute it. Yeah, no, I think in the simplest way, it's a chance to just broadcast who you are in a really transparent way. Mm -hmm. um, again, circling back to the, the conversation I referenced earlier, another part of that conversation was this idea that like attracts like, and that when you're in a competitive recruiting market, when you're in a, uh, a labor shortage, and you've done the work to build a really positive culture 
with really engaged and enthusiastic frontline workers and really articulate and empathetic leadership, you can put that out and you can put that on display and you can show that to the public in a way that continues to differentiate you from someone that's a little more transactional or a little more callous or a little more just tired and really make that that mark on an outside labor force that's looking in saying hey i see something there and almost in, a, in an almost evangelical way which i feel really weird saying it like that <laughs> but you can look into it and be like hey there's something going on and i want to be a part of whatever it is and you're gonna that's a, a great way to attract high quality talent because you're showing a high quality work environment and people want to be a part of that yeah absolutely i mean you see uh you see the tech companies do a really good job of it if you're if you're connected with people in tech they they have the x company like x oracle x salesforce x facebook x linkedin like who puts their ex employer up on their title? Unless you think it's that big of a brand, you're that proud that you've worked there. It's a badge of honor, right? And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't see anyone in the AEC space trying to replicate that when it would be so easy to replicate now because there's no one really doing it. And there are companies that have good cultures. And so some of it's just communicating it the right way. But I don't see, I really don't see very, I, I, I could be missing something. It's a huge market. There's a lot of stuff that happens that I have no idea about. Um, but in my sphere of influence, I haven't seen anyone that does it well. Yeah, yeah. And, and speaking back to like the the building during good times element of the whole piece, I think the way that I like to think about it is I drive a 2007 Mitsubishi Galant. I love my car, but my car is a piece of trash. It is a garbage vehicle that has done me very, very well, but it doesn't have a whole lot left in it. So I'm, I'm starting to think about, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do? What's the next move? It's fine right now, but if that car throws a rod or the transmission locks up, then immediately it goes from, okay, I have some time to make a good decision and I can make a, a decision for my future while I have something to back me up to, ah, shit, I need to make a decision right now because if I don't have a car in the next three days, then I can't take my kid to school and there's a problem. And so being able to think about it while everything is okay, lets me make a better decision. It doesn't force me to be reactionary. It doesn't force me to settle for the first thing that's available. It gives me a little bit of time to plan and to do the work so that I have everything in place whenever the time comes, to save, to make sure I have the money in place to support it so that in six months when something else comes up or problem C shows up, I, I'm not stuck holding my hat in my hands. And it lets me, and three, it lets me do what I want to do. It lets me kind of just take the time to identify the best solution for me and my family and my ambitions and my needs so that I can actually act on the things that I want to do on a daily basis as opposed to end up relegated to the habits and the, the rhythms that I exist in right now. And so that opportunity to be a little bit proactive because I have a reliable means of transportation right now means that when I don't, I'll be okay when that time comes. Yeah, I, I love that example. That's a that's a that's a really really good example. Um, and and it just it just made my mind go all over the place. That's how I know it's a good example. Um, I was just I was thinking about uh, you know, time time is your friend and your enemy. So in this instance, if you're thinking about it now, time's your friend because you have time to make good decisions. You have time to see what plays out in the market. And 
when you think that the right opportunity is there, then you can strike on it. Time also becomes your enemy in this in this story where if it happens today, you're going to have to make a decision on what's available in this very moment, not necessarily what's the best available over a 30 day period. Right. And it's the exact same in this space. Right. Um, if you want uh Nothing. I, I know everyone wants the magic pill. There's no magic solution. There are things that will lower your customer acquisition costs and work better. But um, I I hate to tell everyone it's time and effort. Um, yeah. And so some people experience success a little bit sooner than others. We've had some people that are six. We've some, seen some success <laughs> in the first sales cycle, but a lot of other ones, you're two sales cycles through because you're really learning the first sales cycle and the second sales cycle. It's out there. You start to approach the second, third sales cycle, and then you're really starting to reap those benefits. It's um, it's the farming, not the hunting. Um, yeah. And I think that's also where people misunderstand this. Um there's a difference between hunting and farming, right? And if you think about it in the sales perspective, if you only talk to customers that are in the buying cycle, you wouldn't have a pipeline very long because you right. need to do some planting, right? You need to do some gathering. And uh, that this is the same way. And if you plant season after season, your harvests are going to continue to be bountiful. But if yeah. you're out there trying to hunt, you're only going to be able to get the people that are in market in there. And it's, yeah, you're losing a lot of opportunity. Love the car yeah. story. That was good. <laughs> Thanks, thanks. Uh, to, to keep rolling with that that planting metaphor, though, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity in there because when we when we think about content and digital content, it tends to roll into that immediate kind of what you're talking about about targeting buyers and focusing specifically on the buying cycle. It tends to roll into okay, what's the end ROI? Like what is the immediate payoff that I'm getting? How many conversions are coming through this this funnel as a result of the content that I'm creating? And where I want to kind of push back against that a little bit is like, if think about it less of like a bean field, more of more as like an orchard where yes, you're planting these trees and you're harvesting fruit off of them year after year after year, but there's also a passive benefit to having those things in place. You're pulling carbon out of the air. You have shade that you can come sit under. You have a tourist attraction for rich folks to come walk around in. Like there's, there are ways to, benefit off of that labor that aren't directly tied to the end product that you're selling. Um, and I think that's very, very true for digital content as well in that, okay, if you have, if you've done that work over the past few seasons and you have this field built out, this orchard built out of good digital content, you're not just driving conversions, you're educating an audience on how to engage with your customer. You're demonstrating to different workers and different labor forces, the benefits of your organization and what you have going on and what differentiates you from other companies of similar ilk. Um, you're building mind share and occupying the attention of an audience that is going to find answers somewhere and it may as well be you. There are all these kind of like more passive opportunities that sit on the back burner while you're building up to that final conversion that I think are often go overlooked. Yeah, um, that that's a, that's a that's another good point. I like the way you frame that. Uh, if I could just you know, if you're if it's a sales professional that's listening to this, just put it in in sales terms. I think it's the easiest way to break it down. Only so many of your potential buyers are actually looking to buy at any one moment. And if you focus all of your efforts just on them, like I said a minute ago, you wouldn't have a very good pipeline. And so no good salesperson actually does that. And I think this is the real opportunity where what good digital marketing can do, and we've seen it work in our space, where 
uh, you know, th those let's call let's call the total pie 100 percent. Those 10 percent of people that are actually ready to buy now sales. Go ahead. Do your thing. You're already good at that. Focus on those customers. The other 90% that aren't in the buying mode, how are you communicating with them? How frequently? How often? What are you communicating to them? And if you're relying on a singular person to communicate with them, you know that person is going to get tied up and you may be missing the person that actually has the up upcoming opportunity. You may hear about it too late. If you're consistently producing good content, you're actually talking to the 90% that aren't ready to buy. So you're mm -hmm. talking to them, telling them what's happening in the marketplace. You're telling them, hey, what's happening on our projects? What's happening um, in our side? of our company and they probably honestly don't care about a lot of stuff that's happening inside your company until they're closer to the buying stage but they're absorbing it they're seeing this stuff they're developing an opinion even if it's a subconscious opinion about your brand and about your company so when they need a specific service who do they think of and why and that's the passive aspect of it and that is the stuff that i think um if you believe it and you've seen it work it's incredible but if you if you question it and you don't really believe it, then it's, you know, it's tougher for you to wrap your mind around that. And that's why when we talk about working with customers, we work with people that believe in it because it's a lot easier to work with them. And, you know, you're not fighting in the in the first couple months, like where's this project coming from there? They let it play out and it works because you produce good customer focused content and hey, you help people, they think of you, they come to you. As long as you can execute on your messaging, you're good to go. Yeah. Why would they go anywhere else? Yeah, and I think that that, opportunity to build mindshare is the key piece there. Um, again, people are, especially the the new demographic of buyer that we described earlier, like this is a generation of people that want to answer their own questions. Uh, they want to do their own research. They're going to jump online and punch in, hey, how do I do this, this, or this? Or what's the impact of this on this? And they're going to find that answer. And someone is going to tell them how to think about it. Someone is going to help them reach their decisions. Um, and you have the option of letting it be yourself or letting it be somewhere else. And ultimately one of those things will help your sales cycle and one won't. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, that and that is even when they're getting closer to the to the active part. I think that's an important component when you're thinking about what the what your digital funnel looks like for the people that are interested in buying. It's um, and I, you know, I just want to hit on again all the other people that aren't even anywhere close to that that are just consuming your content because it's interesting they're developing an opinion on you they're developing an awareness on you that they didn't have previously and that is brand positive right it's i think of it like a like almost like a battery storage facility where you kind of plan for that that routine degradation of the asset itself like you know that chunk a is gonna need to be replaced at the end of the cycle so you section it out so that first 10% are going to expire here, next 10% have another two years, next 10% and so on and so forth, so that you're not turning over the whole thing all at the same time. <laughs> and you have that system in place so that once one converts, once one turns over, once one degrades, you can kick that out, start on the other side and keep rolling through and something else slides in. And when you build good content, when you really pay attention to building your funnel and putting those pieces into the different portions of the funnel that allows you to safeguard against that. So you're not cashing in all your chips at once. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. <laughs> uh, and so like, as we talk about building that content, building passive content and building passive content for a new generation of buyer, I think that the big piece that 
we have to continue to iterate on and that we can have to continue to think about is what are those needs? What is that audience experiencing? And how can we realign our thinking to better understand a new generation of buyer that may have completely different experiences than like us? Um, I think we had a, a great introduction to that uh, with our previous conversation, specifically with Janet and Adrian, but especially with Marcus and some of the other more recent episodes where we're looking at again, a new demographic of buyer that's whose experiences might not align with the relationships that we've had. So how can these sales teams, the, then how can our, our listeners kind of reapproach their processes and the way that they think about their audiences in order to better empathize with those new buyers and those new decision makers? Um, the, the answer is always simple. The execution is what's hard. Uh, talk to your buyers. Talk to people that aren't that you don't actually think can buy from you now, but you think might buy from you in the future, or you think maybe influencing the process, and understand the way they consume information. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, re-examine your sales process and see if it's the right process for the where things are headed or where things even are now. In some instances, um, you're only going to be able to continue to force people into your process so much and you're only going to be able to get so many customers by forcing them through your process so if your process requires where you're only going to give out so much information then you got to come talk to somebody no you got to come talk to us understand you're missing out on people and you're mm-hmm. you're creating a negative brand center for some people that they want to get this information at whatever time they want to or they're just passive aggressive and don't want to talk to anyone. They just need this little piece of information. So the more barriers you put up, the more walls you put up, the less you're aligned, the more you try and force people in your process, the less empathetic that is to the way people want to buy. And, you know, empathy is a nice thing to talk about now. Um, You know, Nathan and I are both empathetic people and not only in business, but in our personal lives. So it's, you know, it's a nice thing to talk about, but it has business consequences in the long run as well. Because what starts out as empathy and understanding, other people understand and get that. They adjust their ways that they communicate with those potential buyers. They adjust the way they service them. And then a better solution is available that doesn't include you. And all of a sudden you can't force as many people through there. And then it's time is your enemy again because you're building during bad times, not during good times. Yeah. And I think the the old school mindset of, I guess like the old school mindset tends to see empathy as a form of weakness in a lot of ways and says like no like i can't accommodate to this because of reason x y or z and pushes back against that and says no you have to deprioritize x y or z you need to sacrifice something else in order to fit this model that we've already built and i think part of the the whole great resignation thing is pushing back against that and i think we've seen a lot of of strides socially to say like okay this is this is something that we want to reprioritize and restructure so that we're not as burnt out or so that we can spend more time with our families or so that we're not getting saddled with deals that we didn't want to make in the first place and just kind of working through those communication points of saying, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is how we can continue to move forward in a way that's beneficial for the long-term health of us and our organizations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, um, I think I don't know why there is that perception with empathy because uh, 
And the other the other misconception about empathy is you don't have to agree with someone to be empathetic. Like I don't yeah. I don't I don't agree with everything that buyers tell me or the way like the way that they view the world necessarily, but I I try and understand why that is and then communicate that way and um you know those are those are bigger topics than just this. Um and you know if, if I boil it even just down to the the business component you don't have to agree with your buyers that it's the right way for them to consume information online. You don't have to agree with them that they want to buy get this get 90% down the, the deal cycle before they actually talk to someone. You don't have to agree with that, but you eventually are going to have to face the reality of that is the way they want to buy and as people accommodate them, they'll they'll buy that way. And they'll yeah, shy away yeah. yeah, whether you like it or not, it doesn't change the fact that that is the experience that they that they have and that they want. Yes. And so yeah. You can either stand there and tell the world to move, or you can adapt and be a little more flexible in the way that you approach things so that you can continue to fight another day and so you continue to grow and to thrive. Because if you're not if you're not adaptable and you're not flexible and willing to 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 move and to give a little bit, things that don't give break and things that break don't have any value. Yeah. I mean, look at taxi companies. Look mm-hmm. at taxis. You can you they had every administrative hurdle you could possibly have look at the big cities how much a medallion cost in new york they yeah. thought they had everything structurally there but what they didn't care about was the customer and eventually the customer found an easier way to to get from a point a to point b and now you've seen taxi companies have to greatly adjust if i don't know how many people have rode in a taxi lately but i actually have recently and it's a lot more like an uber now than it was like original taxi oh, uh, man. You don't have to fight to use your credit card, like all these different, all these different things. Um, cable companies have been complaining about streaming for a long time, and guess what? They were forced to move towards streaming, and the ones that have done it well have just exploded. Disney, mm-hmm. like they've just, they've, 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 uh, they've increased their empire, not decreased their empire, because when oh, yeah. you look at some of the other ones, they haven't, they haven't fared as well. And you can just continue to go across the board with that, where. People will eventually come across a better option, and when they do, they will leave you very quickly. And it doesn't matter what legacy things you think you have in place. You can look at the world around you and understand that those things are temporary. Yep. Yeah. Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix in the early aughts for $50 million. Yeah. And didn't think they had a future. And so (laughs) they didn't. And now there's one left somewhere in the middle of Oregon that gets – Stuff a to a yeah, yes. I, I love that entire story. But that's a conversation for a different day. But oh, all right, so I think that that pretty well wraps up all the the things that we kind of had scheduled for today's conversation, Matt. Um, why don't you tell the listeners kind of what they can expect from the coming weeks from the buyer's market, from engaging perspectives, and and what we've got going on looking into twenty twenty two. Yeah. Uh, so the next couple of weeks, I, I don't know if anyone really realizes this or not, but uh, but a lot of our interviews are also great stories. We have some really compelling stories, and we always start out with the leader's journey. And so if you've just been consuming our content through LinkedIn, through these posts, you may not even realize some of the awesome stories that we've highlighted through the year. And we're storytellers at heart. That's actually what we really want to do. Um, that's why we, we don't just come on here and talk about marketing and talk about trends. We talk about stories, and we try and tie everything we do to a story so you understand it better and give it that context. And so over the next two weeks, we are not going to create any new episodes. What we're going to do is just highlight people's stories. So 
make little clips about people's stories. And if you're interested, you can go back and listen to them. But we want to spend the next couple of weeks just um, appreciating the people that have agreed to come on and be guests. We really appreciate them. And also just an homage to stories. You know, people kind of throttle down a little bit during the holidays. And so maybe they don't want to hear as much about marketing from us, but, you know, we still want to show up for people. And that's why we're going to give them some of this good content around stories and, you know, maybe inspire some people going into the year. Um, what you can expect from us in 2022 uh, is even more consistency. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it was a little bit slow get us getting going. Um, it's been, uh, if I being very honest, it's difficult to build a business like can attest to, uh, and especially doing it with a full-time job. So, uh, there's some, will be some changes coming here in 2022. Um, what you can expect from us is more good content and expanding to talk to new audiences. Um, we're going to focus more on building a community for AEC marketers. We think AEC marketers are, you know, not respected enough in the industry for various reasons. Um, we don't feel like they have a seat at the table and they should have a seat at the table. And so we want to focus on building a community of marketers that we can help them understand how do you get at the seat at the table. I was very fortunate to come from the business side. So when I first got into marketing, I intuitively understood how to communicate what I was doing in marketing to the business objectives. If you've never been through that on the business side, you might not have that knowledge. So we want to help people understand that, help people understand the best practices we're seeing. And we also want to do a little bit more of an emphasis on sales leaders as well. We've talked a lot to business owners, but we believe a big opportunity in, in the next coming years is marketing and sales alignment. Um, it's it's kind of silly to me that they operate so differently and so disjointedly when there's a lot of things that they can gain from each other, where information coming from clients, coming from sales, and then also uh, marketing, generating opportunities for sales with customers to understand that better. There's a lot of opportunity there. So we're going to talk more about that. A um, couple other things that are surprises. Uh, we'll talk more about them here at the end of the month. Um, I'm going to be highlighting some of our journey through TikTok which uh, will be interesting for all of us, including me. Um, but just giving some people behind the scenes about what's happening in the what's happening with us, what's happening with me, what's happening with the company, and uh, giving a little bit of insight of like, you know, it's not as polished as it looks in our clips. A lot of the stuff is is hard getting getting going. Uh, we have a good process for the actual podcast, but but building a business is hard, and we want to show that um, as we all transition into um, into this. So, a lot of exciting stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So in the coming weeks, please keep an eye out for that. We will continue to post on our LinkedIn page, both individually and the organization's pages so that you can pay attention and keep an eye out for all those those great things as they come into your feed. Um, we also intend to continue to expand into guides and tutorials for anyone looking to start their own LinkedIn feed. Um, we're here to help you kind of guide you through that experience. So if you have questions, please feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn. I'm Nathan Doyle. He's Matthew Winkelstein. Uh, you can find both of us on LinkedIn. You can find Engaging Perspectives on LinkedIn or at www.engagingperspectives.com. Matt, anything else? Have a great holiday, everybody. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. We'll see you next week.